this quote that we read on the very first week of this series by the wonderful man C.S. Lewis. And he says this, he says, Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. The reason that we've entitled this series, The 15 Disciplines of Love, is that as a godly person, as a Christian person, we have the responsibility to love people even when we don't feel like it. We, you know, love, although it's been caught up as an emotion in the modern world, is so much more than an emotion. We can feel an emotion that feels like love, but godly love is action. Godly love is us doing something, not just feeling something. And we've called it the disciplines of love because I've said it a billion times. I'll say it again that discipline is doing what you should do, when you should do it, whether you feel like it or not. And if you don't feel like loving somebody, we have a responsibility as Christians to continue to pursue them in love because godly love loves people when we don't feel like it, when we should do it. We called to love and be that kind of people. We, we've talked so much where there's a godly love and a worldly love and the love of the world is discontent, but the love of God is patient. The love of wor- the world is spiteful and insensitive, but the love of God is kind and gracious. The love of the world is envious. The love of God is reassuring. The love of the world is boastful. The love of God is genuine. The love of the world is prideful. The love of God is humble. The love of the world is dishonorable. The love of God is honorable. The love of the world is self-seeking and self-gratifying, but the love of God is selfless and self-giving. The love of the world lacks self-control. The love of God embraces self-control. The love of the world is unforgiving. The love of God embodies forgiveness. The love of the world finds pleasure in evil. The love of God revels in the truth. The love of the world is unreliable, suspicious, and hopeless. The love of God protects, is steadfast, trustworthy, and full of hope because the love of God will never fail. So very quickly, I want us to look back over this passage of Scripture. It's potent. It's packed with divinely inspired Scripture of a view into this thing that we call the love of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, it says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love, we all know it, never fails. Because it's the last day, I want us to quickly just preview the first nine that we went through. The first one being love is patient, which we came to understand that it's love. It, it, mean, it literally translates that love is patient with people. That we can be wronged, we can be hurt, but we continue to be patient with those who might hurt us. Number two is love is kind, which gives us this understanding that love is useful. The word uh, is, literally means to be show oneself useful. In other words, love doesn't use others, 
to help itself, love serves others to help them. The third one was love does not envy. Envy, a great description is this, a more, uh, a, envy is a resentful, dissatisfied longing for another's possessions, position, fortune, achievements, or success. Love is not envious. Number four is that love does not boast. Boasting is the outward verbal or written expression of an inward pride. Number five is that love is not proud. The sin of pride is destructive, and it's the inward attitude of superiority, superiority that is full of conceit and arrogance. I need to interrupt. I have good friends, and good friends tell you when you do something wrong. And one of my friends, whom I won't name, Aaron, <laughs> who messaged me last week, he said, hey, just so you know, you said uh, epitome instead of epitome. Twice, apparently. <laughs> and we're going to get to the one in a minute that says that we don't keep record of other people's wrongs, Aaron. Number six was love is not rude. Basically, don't be a jerk. <laughs> Number seven is that love does not insist on its own way. It's not self-seeking. Selfishness is defined like this. Lacking consideration for others, concerned chiefly with one's own personal profit or pleasure. Selfishness is the epitome, <laughs> the epitome of the Christian life. Number eight is love is not easily angered, angered, or love is not irritable. Love does not fly off the handle. Love does not explode in irrational anger. Number nine is that love keeps no record of wrongs, or love is not resentful. And we understood at the end of last week's sermon that we look at the picture of Jesus, that Jesus did not keep a record of our wrongs. This word logizomai is like an accounting word, and it doesn't keep an account of the sins that we commit. The Bible tells us that Jesus casts our sin as far as the east is from the west, that when we come to a place of repentance, he remembers our sin no more. He's not counting a list of our sins against us, that one day when we stand before Jesus in heaven, he's going to have a list of the things that we've done wrong. He's going to have one list that's going to say righteous or sinful, and those who have repented and believe in Jesus will be called righteous and we'll walk with Jesus forever. And in the same way that Jesus doesn't keep a record of our wrongs, we have a responsibility, as difficult as it may be, to not continue to hold other people constantly accountable for the sins that they committed. Because imagine Jesus kept holding us accountable after our, we repented, after we've changed our ways. And so that took us to number nine, that love keeps no record of wrongs. Which gets us to today, number ten, is this, love does not delight in evil. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Seems so straightforward that we wouldn't rejoice in evil things. But you know, so often we find ourselves in a place of celebrating that which God condemns or happily being entertained by things that are debaucherous and therefore demonic 
and yet we sit there and feed on it in the name of entertainment and those people are broken and those people might be hurting and those people might be exposing themselves for, for, uh, for value and for worth or for money. They're giving up their purity for the name of money and we're so easily entertained by what Jesus came to set people free from. Love does not rejoice in evil. In, the, in Corinthians, the, the people, they were having problems because they were a debaucherous region and Jesus had come in and people's lives were being changed, yet some people were still celebrating about the evil deeds that they were committing or there was people there, literally one story is a man sleeping with his mother-in-law and calling themselves Christian and Paul's having to come in and create, correct their behavior. You see, love does not celebrate evil. Godly love, godly compassion, and godly kindness do not celebrate that which God condemns. Philippians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destruction, sorry, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. In this line here, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. He says they glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. They're glorying in that which God considers shameful, and that's not what love does. The things that their minds are on, they glory. We look in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, to see the kind of shameful things that people would glory in. They, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions and factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the, and the things like this. Is that my microphone, Jordan? I'll behave myself. Not that I'm doing much. Ah, I reckon it's this guy. These are the things of the flesh that we're called not to glory in, or sometimes we glory in our shame by thinking it's hilarious to bring up the way that we used to live, and we remember going, ah, oh, man, that's when I used to have a lot of fun, and we remember back to our sinful ways, and somehow our conversation goes into celebrating the way that we used to live, when the way that we used to live was shameful, it was sinful, it was a life of brokenness, so let's not glory in our shame. Our past, it's a testimony to tell people that Jesus can transform a broken person. Our past is not to put on a pedestal to see how bad and how good we were at sinning. We don't glory in our shame. The second thing is that love does not rejoice when others suffer. When it comes to this number 10, that we don't, rejoice in evil. We don't rejoice in the, our own evil. We don't celebrate evil things around us. We also don't celebrate when other people do evil things or when other people suffer. Love does not rejoice when somebody gets what they deserve. You ever been there? You know that person who's been a real jerk. They've been really doing the wrong thing. They've been really treating you poorly and something happens. I know people who get so excited when bad things happen to people. That's called rejoicing in evil and it's sinful. 
We're not supposed to rejoice when people suffer. Proverbs 24, 17 says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Proverbs 24, 19 says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers, and be not envious of the wicked. You know, we live in a day, social media used to be like those magazines you get right as you walk out of the grocery store. They're what we call gossip magazines. And everybody's so excited to look at the deepest, darkest gossip of all the celebrities. And we entertain when bad things happen. It doesn't mean you're happy. I mean, this thing, it's like we get so excited when bad things happen to people. Because strangely enough, I've, I've watched it. Negativity is so much easier to talk about, apparently, than positive things. When people are stuck for something positive and good to talk about, we find bad things to talk about. We find somebody else to talk about. We find something to talk about somebody else's situation, how their marriage didn't work or what they did the other day. And it's called glorying in shame. It's called rejoicing in evil and love does not do that. Amen. I realize that the week don't get a lot of amens in this message. Number 11, it says... So verse number 10 is that love does not rejoice in evil. Number 11, number 11 is love rejoices in the truth. Love rejoices when truth is lived and when truth is taught. When the word of God is taught in its potency and its purity, it can be confronting. But love rejoices that somebody's willing to stand up and speak the truth of the word of God in a culture that would rather them not. Psalm 33 verse 4, it says, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. And he, speaking of God, loves righteousness and justice. And the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Ephesians 4 15 says, Rather speaking truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. That we rejoice. Love is excited when good things happen. Love is excited when we see 2,000 odd volunteers who are doing good on the Gold Coast of Australia. Love is excited to hear that we're going to do the same thing in Nashville, Tennessee. Love is excited when there's a preacher, when there's a person who stands up to protect the innocence of our children in a culture that's trying to sexualize them and mutilate them. Somebody has to stand up for truth and while the world looks and mocks, the church stays quiet, quiet, but the church should be excited that we are protecting our children through the truth of the Word of God. This is the kind of thing we're supposed to be excited about when somebody with a backbone stands up and preaches the Word of truth. Yet so many Christians are ashamed when another Christian speaks the Word of truth, and we shouldn't be. We should be excited that somebody's going to do it so you don't have to. Because the love of God rejoices when the truth is lived and when the truth is taught. The third book of John, chapter 1, verses 2, Paul's writing, sorry, John's writing, and it's, it's awesome. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified 
of your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. Verse 4, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. On the flip side, we've got a lot of people that are willing to talk truth and not live truth. Got a lot of people that are willing to have a big mouth but not a big walk. And the rejoicing in good is not that we would just teach and say good things, but that we would live out the gospel. That we'd be bold in our convictions. That we'd be kind and patient and loving with people. Amen. Now the last four we're going to race through together here. And the last four are kind of like a long cord that's attached together. This is kind of like the ending of what Paul is writing. And they work really tightly together and... So number 12 is we see that he says that love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. And love endures all things. If you, as we go through this, if you picture it like a rope that's holding on to someone who is loving like Jesus, it's this rope and you're going to see it's each end. It's like love protects, love bears all things. And as we bear all things, love hopes all things when things aren't being like we hoped. And when hope is seemingly disappointing, so, so love, love believes all things, believes the best. And when the best isn't happening, love continues to hold on to hope. And when hope is seemingly fading, love endures and we see at the very end, because love never fails. And so number 12 is that love bears all things. And this word bears all things more so means to protect. It means to cover or to protect or to preserve. It's this idea that love covers a multitude of sins. Love protects people. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Love would prefer to cover up the ugliness of somebody's life because love doesn't live to expose people's shame. Love covers. It's amazing how easily we, um, we dismiss the faults of those we love. And when someone you love does something wrong, like your children, like, ah, you know, we find a way to get through it. We don't continue to walk out there and expose each other because love protects, love preserves. It's easy to sometimes keep under wraps the ugliness, the sin, the mess of those whom we love, but would we do it with those whom we say we don't love, for lack of a better, better term, or those who aren't so close to us? Or you know when you get together and it's all the ladies and you sit there and you're having your coffee and you begin to expose the weaknesses of your husband? You ever been in those environments that's basically just a big man-bashing session, complaining about your husbands? I hope not. And vice versa, you sit there with your, the guys and you just complain and you're 
Tell them how frustrated you are. I'm not talking about a safe place when you're in wise counsel for something you're struggling with. But does love expose or does love preserve and protect those who are in error? Does love protect those who have made mistakes? Do you air everybody's personal laundry so that you can be feel the one to know everything? Or do you protect one another? I love the story of Mary and Joseph. You ever heard of Mary and Joseph? See, we're getting Christmassy already. Mary, the virgin, who was impregnated by the Holy Spirit and so told her husband that she was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And he's like, you're a crazy person. You see, because the angel spoke to Mary and yet not hadn't spoken to Joseph. And so Joseph's put in a really awkward position. It even says here, it says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Being an upright and just man, he had been wronged in his eyes. He didn't know that Mary had been impregnated by the Holy Spirit. He didn't know that Mary was carrying the son of the living God. All he knows is that we haven't slept together and she's got a baby in her stomach. Two, one plus one equals two. Simple. It's literally the only time where one plus one doesn't equal two. And he's there and he thinks there's been an adulterous act that she's cheated on him that she's been unfaithful and he has an opportunity to shame her and publicly shame her and it says he chose instead to keep it under wraps to protect that woman whom he loved and instead do it quietly and thank God the angel turned up and they didn't have to do so Joseph had a choice but he chose to cover her shame we know the famous story of Noah drunk one brother wants to expose and the other wants to cover his sin. Because love covers a multitude of sin. Because ultimately love is redemptive. Jesus didn't come to expose our sin. He came to expose our value. He came to do away with our sin. He came to deal with the effects of sin that we could repent from our sin. But his job wasn't to come and expose all of our dirty laundry to the world. His job was in love, ultimately redemptive. He came to redeem us from our sinful ways and set us up into our future and purpose as children of God. Because love is not judgmental or condemning. Love is redemptive and forgiving. Love covers sin. Love carries the burden of sin. And love is, in the place of Jesus, even willing to take the consequence of our sin. This doesn't mean that we excuse wrongdoing or we, ex we look to uh, evade the natural consequences of sin. It means that we strengthen what is weak, we shield what is vulnerable, and we forgive. Because love covers to protect, love covers to redeem, and ultimately love covers sin so that people would come to a place of redemption. Because love wants to restore that which is broken. And as long as the grace of God is operating, then no one's sin or failure is final. So love protects rather than exposes and shames. Amen. Love bears all things. Number 13 is love believes all things. Love can see what is wrong. It can see weakness, 
but it believes the best and trusts that all things can turn around for good. It's essentially where we get this whole statement, believe the best in somebody. Because love believes that things can get better. Love believes, it doesn't mean that we're naive or undiscerning. It means that love is not cynical and love is not suspicious. You know one of the best ways to interrupt your relationship and put a big wedge between you and your spouse is to be constantly suspicious. To be constantly prodding and provoking, expecting the worst, expecting there to be a huge mistake. Don't live like that. Believe the best. If something comes out, then deal with it. But don't live in the state of suspicion. It will drive a wedge between that you and that person you're constantly provoking and prodding and causing unnecessary suspicion. And because love believes the best in somebody, even when they're not being the best. Love is slow to believe any bad news about somebody. And love, as difficult as it is, likes to give the benefit of the doubt. I use my marriage as an example a lot, and I'm sure I will the longer we're together. Keyboard player can come, that'll be awesome. But my mother-in-law chose to believe the best when my marriage and Savannah's marriage fell apart. Nine months of marriage hit the, just an absolute mess. We agreed to separate with no desire of coming back together. Over a year and a half, 18 months, we spoke four times. And that whole time, my mother-in-law, Savannah's mother, chose to believe the best. She chose to speak life into that which had no life. She chose to continually reach out to me and try and speak life into me when I wanted nothing to do with it. She continually had to bother Savannah with hope and believing the best when she wanted nothing to do with the best. We were both happy with our decision, but she held on because she believed that the best was yet to come. Often we'll get the best out of those we believe in. So it was once said, if we treat people as they ought to be, we help them become what they are capable of becoming. And as long as, as long as the grace of God is operating, then no one's sin and no one's failure is final. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. And when believing the best doesn't seem to be coming to fruition, love hopes all things. Hope is the expectation of good. Hope is... So love is so hope is the expectation of good. Love is always in the face of its problems optimistic. Hope is again that long cord that is you're believing the best and we're not seeing breakthrough. We continue to expect good things to happen because God is faithful. Hope is not hope when you have the thing you are hoping for. Hope is not hope when things are in order. Hope is not hope when all is going well. Hope is hope when things are not as you wish, but you desire them to be so. So you continue to believe that they will be. Or G.K. Chesterton said it like this. Hope means hoping when things are 
hopeless. Or it is no virtue at all. As, as long as matters are really hopeful, hope is merely flattery or platitude. It is only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. And we remind it again that as long as the grace of God is operating, then no one's sin or no one's failure is final. Love bears all things, protects, preserves, covers. Love believes all things, believes that the best can come out of any situation. It's not suspicious. Love hopes, continues to expect good things to happen. Even when they're not seeing what they're believing for, we hold on to hope because love hopes all things. And number 15 is love endures all things. You ever been believing for something? It's turning into, I hope it happens. Love of the world, give up. But love endures all things. The word endures means to be positioned in a difficult situation or an unfortunate situation, a trial, a challenge, and still remain, and still abide, and to have fortitude, and to persevere regardless of what's going on as hopeless as it may be and you've been believing you ever heard the statement that says hope deferred makes the heart sick love endures anyway love endures through a sick heart that's been hope deferred your marriage your relationships whatever the situation you've been hoping and it's been years and years you've been trying to believe the best but because of life experiences because of the way people have dishonored you because of the way people have abused your trust the way people have not been good to you have a hard time believing the best in situations because every time you believe the best someone lets you down every time you hope that someone's going to change, they don't. But when love is suffering, it won't let go. Just because it's hard, love won't let go. Just because you've been let down, love won't let go. Just because you've been hurt, love won't let go. Just because you've been mocked and ridiculed, love still won't let go. Just because you've been unfairly treated, dishonored love won't let go because love bears all things love believes all things love hopes all things and when it all seems lost love endures all things imagine my mother-in-law I just think about it often sitting in her prayer room on that 15th month before there was any hope of restoration she'd been through believing the best that this is just going to be a little hiccup she went through hope deferred and there she is enduring love never fails as she endured in the situation that was impossible we were moments away from signing the divorce papers on our marriage 
the only reason we hadn't done it out of, out of pure laziness. And love endured. My mother-in-law sat there and loved and endured. It was the end of the rope. And you see, the, love, the rope of love doesn't have an end because love endures all things. It holds on. It holds on. It is love never fails. 16 months, sorry, 18 months down the road, God speaks to me in a vision on the altar at church as I'm worshiping the Lord. He shows me this picture of this rock covered in lava, covered in this dark matter, and on the end it chips off, and inside is this tiny piece of gold. And I remember so clearly in my heart saying, God, what is that? And he said, it's your marriage. Go get it. Because love protects, love hopes, believes and endures and perseveres when it all seems impossible. That's the love of God. We sit here today, 12 years married, three children born in three different continents because love never fails. Now I understand we've all walked through different situations and seasons. And when challenging ideas like this come to the surface, the idea is not to look back on where you went wrong or what you did wrong. It's to look forward and say, how am I going to do it better this time? How can I do it better this time? We're going to close with this. Four keys to remain in the discipline of love. Number one, realize it's commanded by God. It's not a good idea to love, it's a God idea. Number two, realize you have the power to love. Romans 5.5 says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. To love is not only a command, but it's possible. 1 John 4.7 Beloved, Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Number three, realize that love, God's love is the Spirit's work in you. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And number four is practice putting on love. We read that scripture at the beginning. From C.S. Lewis. Don't suppose you love your neighbor. Go and love them. Because those who you go and love, out of a discipline, out of choosing love, you seem to eventually love. Philippians 4 verse 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. The disciplines of love. Because love is doing what we should do. Sorry, discipline is doing what we should do, when we should do it, whether we feel like it or not. And in the world that we live in, What an opportunity to do what we should do when we should do it, 
when someone's irritating us, when somebody's frustrating us, when somebody disagrees with us, when somebody thinks differently to us, how can we continue to be truth livers, truth preachers, but walking in love? We do it by doing what we should do, when we should do it, whether we feel like it or not. Because the grace of God empowers us not to just have a ticket to heaven, but to walk like Jesus. And when we trip up, we get up again and we say, Jesus, thank you for teaching me. Thank you for guiding me. And we continue to practice walking in love. And I promise this because I believe the word of God is yes and amen. We put these things into practice. You watch relationships turn around. Watch your marriage turn around. If you go back, listen to these messages and try and implement the actions of love, even if your spouse isn't. You watch, you can't be, you can't be loved like that kind of love too long before you have to give in, you know? Otherwise, you're a psychopath. Don't be a psychopath. Make movies about those kind of people. Ultimately, this is a picture of Christ. Ultimately, Christ is patient, He's kind, He's loving, He's redemptive, He's restorative, He is hope, He is peace, He is joy. And when it all came to the end of the line, there Jesus was, hanging on a cross, nails in His hands, nails in His feet. The Bible tells us it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. The joy that was set before him was you and me and all those who are yet to come to repentance. He endured the cross to deal with sin so that we could be saved.